Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The point in time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn, as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice, as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy, as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world, as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today and have chosen to be with us. If it's your first time here, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Um, We don't take lightly that you've chosen to worship with us today. We would love to get connected with you, so please stop by the Information Center out there in the lobby so we can just simply get to know your name and let you know that Jesus loves you. We are in a series entitled New Year, New Family. And what we've been doing is at the start of 2022, we've just been looking at what the scriptures say about our families. And so we primarily teach through books of the Bible here at Westside, but we'll stop occasionally and just sort of look at topics and see what God's word says about those topics. And man, the issue of family is a big deal because we all come from a family and we all have a family. And so we've been getting a lot of feedback as to what God has been doing in and through this series and in and through your lives. And just as a review, we said that the goal of this series is really twofold. It's to break down the old foundations and to build up new foundations for your family. That when the Bible talks about a family, it always talks about it in the sense of building something, building a a house, building a life. And it talks about having a sure foundation. But in Joshua 24, we learn that oftentimes the foundation that we are handed, no matter how good our family was, is we are still all broken people. And so we have to break down that old foundation and we have to build up new foundations for our family. And this is what we've said a house is. We sort of broke this down in a simple acronym uh, for us to understand what what really is a house. What in the scripture separates um, the building of a life and a house from the way that the world views it. So we said H is holy. It means separate. It's something distinct, obedient, that Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll obey my commands. And we said it was so important to know that Jesus says, love first, then obey. 
Jesus doesn't say, if you obey my commandments, then I will love you. And then we said united. That unity is something that we constantly have to fight for in our families, serving one another. That serving begins in the home. The reason why we see the downfall and the downgrade of society, I believe, personal opinion, this is free, it's not in your notes, but you get what you pay for, okay? And so the reason why I believe we see the breakdown in society is because we have a breakdown in the home. And we've looked to too many places in order to provide that, whether it be the White House or something else. But I believe that God has a plan and it starts in your house, then it moves to the church house, and then it goes out into society. And so it's serving and then it's everyone. That we understand that it's not just biology that makes us a family, but rather it's theology. That the people that are in the pews and the people that are around you are our family in the Lord. And we learn about this in marriage. We said that marriage has a number of seasons to it. And so we said that there's face-to-face, intimacy, side-by-side where we're co-laborers, back-to-back where we're defending and fighting spiritual warfare, and then toe-to-toe where we're maybe fighting each other. And what we said is, in order to improve your marriage or to have a new marriage or a godly marriage, you first have to know where you're at. And so we said that this has massive implications and, and last week, we looked at the roles of wives in the marriage. And, and that was a really important sermon for us as a church. Um, our board sort of wrote an official statement championing and saluting women and what the Bible says about that. So you can go to our website and you can check those things out. So naturally, you would think that we would roll now into the issue of husbands and their role in the marriage. But with this being Valentine's weekend... We thought that it would be a good idea to address the singles, right? And so um, the Bible actually has a lot to say about this topic. And surprisingly, I think the church hasn't done um, the best job when it comes to this idea of singles. And I even got this question when we were sort of planning out the series as to why would you do a sermon about singles in a series on the family? To which I would say the answer to that is your question, okay? Um, That is a poor question because all singles have a family and all families have singles, And as a matter of fact, I did a bunch of research this week, and there is a lot of statistics about how society is actually changing. And so in 2020, the Pew Research study said nearly four out of ten adults between the ages 25 and 54 were neither married nor living with a partner. That is a 30% increase since 1990. Now listen, these statistics have massive implications as to the way the society has been affected and the way the church has been affected as well. Another statistic was the number of single-person households in the U.S. has doubled from 18.2 million in 1980 to 36.1 million today. That is a large group of people that I believe primarily feel a little bit left out 
when it comes to the teaching of Scripture and how their Christian faith intersects with their current life. And then the last statistic said this, people are waiting longer than ever to get married. 12 years ago, the average age was 27. And as of 2020, the Pew Research says the average age is about 32. Now, there's a lot of implications with that. There's education, there's career, there's a lot of those things. And one of the things that I've been doing in this series is I've just been reaching out via social media and asking some questions just to engage into some dialogue and to put some good news in your news feed rather than what else is going on in the world or a funny meme or something like that. So this week, um, I just simply asked this question via social media, sermon help, single people only. And I did this so maybe some of you single people could see who commented on the post. <laughs> Maybe slide into some DMs or something like that, you know? I, hey, listen, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you, all right? So I, I teed you up, okay? So some of you guys, and by the way, it was predominantly women, and so listen, if you're a single guy, man, the door's wide open, okay? Hey, I saw your post, you know, I was just thinking. I don't know. I'm just here to help you, okay? I said singles. What is the one thing that you could tell the Big C Church, kind of universal as a whole, about being a Christian that is single, let me know in the comments. It was a great discussion. I've really, really enjoyed this. And, and predominantly, um, the main sort of comment that was worded differently was very simply this. I just wish the church as a whole, universal Christians as a whole, would view us as regular people, not like either A, a project, or B, that there's something wrong or we're missing out or something like that, but rather view us as an equal. And that is an honest and I believe a correct assessment. And, and one of the things that we've been doing in this series is, is sort of looking at what the culture says versus what God's word says about the family. Now, um, the church, universal as a whole, sort of tends to fall into a ditch that's on either side of the road. And so when it comes to um, being single, predominantly what the culture says um, is this. The culture demonizes the family. And it says that a family will restrict you from you getting what you want. And so don't get bogged down with marriage. Don't get bogged down with kids. This is going to deter your career. It's going to restrict you. I mean, you got to play the field. You're in the prime of your life, blah, 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 this type of stuff like that, okay? Now... What the church predominantly has done, starting sort of in the 1950s with the baby boom and the rise of conservatism, is the church has reacted to that. And, and please listen to me. A reaction most of the time is never good. Because what it is, is it's an equal argument that's in the same error. It's just the opposite. So the church has idolized the family by saying a family will give you everything that you want. 
So, so the culture says this is restrictive. You don't need to do that. And, and listen, you can see this in modern TV shows, movies, television, uh, the Tinder swindler, all of that type of stuff. That was crazy, okay? All of this type of stuff. And then the church has simply reacted to that and says the nuclear family is everything. Now, is a family and is marriage good? Oh, gosh, men, I just set you up, bro. Listen, it's Valentine's. Well, I'm trying to help you out here, okay? Is marriage and is a family good? Yes, it's good. It's good. But most of the time, the idols that creep into our life are when we take a good thing and we make them a God thing. And what the Bible says is we as human beings have a great problem with loving the gift over the giver of the gift. So James would say that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And so what the gift is supposed to do is to make you go, wow. Um, just this weekend, last night, we were under a starry sky and, and by a river with my son, and we were talking, and he said, man, look at the stars, it's so beautiful. And I just said, Bubba, if the stars are that beautiful... How beautiful is the God that made the stars? Like everything is supposed to point us back to the Father. But what we have done is we have seen the good and important teaching in the scriptures about the family. And we've sort of reacted to the culture and we've said that the family is ultimate and marriage is ultimate. So if you are single, then you are missing out on something, and you cannot fully experience the Christian life. Now, there's a problem with that. Primarily, that we worship a single guy. Jesus was never married. Now, I know some of you Bible theology people are like, well, he's married to the church. Yeah, okay, great. You got the Awan Award. Fantastic for you, okay? But Jesus remained single in his earthly ministry. Also, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the words that we just read, pretty big deal, varsity Christian, if you will. Um, he was single, and in the passage, he actually says, I wish that you were like me. And then he gives some instructive teaching. So, we have to walk a fine line today, and we can't react to either argument. And if you're single in here, I just want to let you know, I'm very sorry for the loneliness that you have felt in the church and, and maybe that experience of, man, I can't fully live this Christian life if it's not blank or the church has always viewed you as a project. I'm so sorry about that. But I believe that God's word is going to set us on the right path, but there's some work that we need to do. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it is a very difficult passage of Scripture to understand. I mean, even the text, when it was read, the Apostle Paul's like, hey, listen, I don't have a command from the Lord, but I do, but I don't really. And so if you're married, stay married. And it's very, very confusing, but you have to understand the context. So we love God's Word here at Westside, and we sort of study a Bible passage on Sunday morning, and then we pull some principles and precepts out of the passage. And, and really the key to the whole chapter is found there in verse 1. If you have your Bible, I want you to look at it. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this. 
Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. Huge sentence. Here's what you need to understand about the church in Corinth. That it was a large uh, metropolis city. I mean, think St. Louis, Atlanta, L.A., something like that. And Christianity was exploding in that church. But it was a massively pagan environment. And so what these Christians were experiencing was is that they were worshiping Jesus, but some people were saying, oh, you need to mix this kind of pagan theology in, and oh, you can't do that. You still need to obey the law, and this, that, and the other. And so history records that these group of Christians wrote the Apostle Paul four letters. Now, we only have two of them, which is First and Second Corinthians. So what Paul is doing is he is answering in 1 Corinthians a series of questions that were asked to him, okay? And to outline the passage, it sort of looks like this. The first section is about Christians married to Christians, And so in these verses, some people are saying that you're more spiritual if you abstain from sex in marriage. And the Apostle Paul's like, eh, you know, not really. Um, Maybe if you're praying and fasting, but then you need to watch out for the devil and this, that, and the other. And then in the next section, he speaks to Christians married to non-Christians. And he's like, listen, if you're married to a non-Christian, you don't need to get out of the marriage, but here's some things that you need to do. And then in the last section, he addresses unmarried Christians who are either single. Um, He uses the word betrothed. And and you probably have a footnote in your Bible, which also means virgins or people that were widowed. And so in these verses, he's he's answering sort of popcorn questions. And his train of thought is is difficult um, to really outline. And it was difficult this week sort of studying this passage. But... There's a key that we have to understand. Um, In verse 7, I want you to look at this. The Apostle Paul says this. I wish that all were as I myself am, referring to himself as being single. Now, there's a lot of historical debate about this. That the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And in order to be in the Sanhedrin and in the high council, we know that the law told us that he had to have been a married man. But it's never referenced in scripture. And here he says that he's single. So at some point, most scholars believe that before the Apostle Paul's conversion, he never had children, but was probably widowed. Which is also why he gives so much significance to widows in the scripture, okay? So he says, I wish that you were as I am, which is single, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So just to recap, the Apostle Paul says, hey, to those of you who are single, um, I'm glad that you're single And those of you who are maybe thinking about getting married, you need to use wisdom in this. But my personal opinion is, is that you would be single as I am. And he uses this word, gift, from God. So Paul is saying marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. 
Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the big sort of chapter about spiritual gifts, when he's talking about like tongues and healing and all of that stuff, he says this in the first verse. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's the exact same word that he uses in 1 Corinthians 7. Okay, so we're studying the Bible here. God forbid you learn something at church on Sunday, right? Um, the term is, uh, it's where we get the word charisma from, like in, a, in personality. It means a supernatural gift of grace. And grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. It's a good thing. So, to summarize all of this, the Apostle Paul is saying marriage is a gift from God. But if you find yourself single, single is actually a gift from God as well. And I know what some of you are saying. You're like, so if this is a gift, where is the return department? Okay? Uh, don't really know how I feel about this gift, uh, you know, that God has given. That's all great flowery church language. Um, but, you know, you might be saying, Pastor Jason, I would love to get married. I'm currently in the craziness of the dating scene. And by the way, this is something that um, those of us who, who are married and have been married for a long time, talking with single people, you have no idea if, if you are married, the stress and the anxiety and the weirdness of the dating scene right now. I mean, with the internet and apps and all of this type of stuff, it is a difficult thing to try to navigate. But Paul is saying, hey, listen, you need to change your perspective. So it's either um, if you're single and you're like, I don't need nobody, it's just me and I'm good with that. Or if you're somebody who's constantly like, um, you know, Lord, I know that you'll give me the desires of my heart when I'm satisfied in you. And Jesus, I'm satisfied in you. And so where is that man that you've got for me? <laughs> right? Okay. So it might be like that. But listen, that is an extreme and an error on either side. And Paul says... Correct your perspective. And, and really, listen, this is the big idea in the thesis that I want you to understand today. Um, the big idea is this. Singleness is a gift given by God to be stewarded well. That's the big idea. So for some of you who are single, it might be a season. And then you might get married. For some of you, you might remain single for the remainder of your life. It is not less than. You are not missing out on the Christian life in any way, shape, or form. But it is a gift given by God. But the key is this, to be stewarded well. As any gift that God gives us, life, money, marriage, singleness, spiritual gifts, no matter what it is, it is our job to steward those gifts that God has given us. And so really quickly, I know what some of you are asking. Well, I mean, goodness, um, do I have the gift of singleness, Pastor? How do I know that I have the gift of singleness? Ready for this? This is deep. We are in the deep theological end of the pool, okay? So some of you might be saying, man, Pastor, do I have the gift of singleness? To which I will ask you, are you single? 
Well, yes, pastor, I am. Praise be to God. You have the gift of singleness. <laughs> so, you guys, this is, this is deep. We are in it today, okay? And I know what, and then the follow-up question is, well, you know, is it a season? Is it, uh, uh, uh. now you're starting to go places and starting to step into the role and position of God. Right now, the season that you find yourself in, if you are single, might be a season, and it might be a gift that God has given you for the remainder of your life. But at the end of the day, our job is to steward the season that we find ourselves in. So how do we steward this gift of singleness well? Before we dive into that, um, there's a really profound quote by a woman by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of a missionary by the name of Jim Elliot, who was very, very famous and was martyred um, by some um, people that were on an island who were an unreached people group, and they went and were going to minister to them. Literally, history records that while these native people were stabbing these men, these men were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And Elizabeth Elliot remained widowed and singled for the rest of her life. She married young, had a short marriage, and then remained widowed and singled. And she says this, Single life may be only a stage of a life's journey, but even a stage is a gift. God may replace it with another gift, but the receiver accepts his gifts with thanksgiving. This gift for this day. The life of faith is lived one day at a time. And it has to be lived not always looking forward as though the, quote, real living were around the corner. It is today for which we are responsible. Because you see, God still owns tomorrow. That's what Jesus says when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, so Paul already, we haven't even pulled principles out of this passage. And he's already saying, listen, on the get-go, you have got to change your perspective. And so you can't cop out and go, yes, I'm single for a season, and God has given me this gift, but then when I get married, then that's when the real discipleship, that's when God will really use me. And that, No, no, no. It's now. One of the axioms that we learned about that's foundational for us is that God is always present and at work in our lives. Always. The question is, are we aware of it? Are we aware of it? So, the guiding question that we have to ask when we look at these verses is this. How can I steward my gift of singleness well? Listen, I believe this is going to be immensely applicable for those of you that are single or for those of you who have a single person in your family. I mean, this is, Paul is literally answering this exact question. And what I want to do is I want to form the points in the form of a question. You can write these down, write them in the front of your Bible. These can be guiding questions for you to ask yourself every day as am I stewarding this season, this gift of singleness well in my life? The first question is this. 
do I have an eternal perspective? Do I have an eternal perspective? Look at what the Apostle Paul says in these verses. He says, starting in verse 25, Now concerning the betrothed, I have, a command, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Um, translation, please, what does that mean? Here's what Paul's saying. I can't tell you, thus saith the Lord about singleness. There's no Ten Commandment here. There's nothing in the old law, this, that, or the other. But what I can tell you is, um, I'm an apostle. Um, I saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he commissioned me and said that I was an apostle. Um, I've written books of the Bible, and I've raised people from the dead. Just a little bit of my resume there, the Apostle Paul says. So, I can't say that the Lord has spoken on this in the Old Testament or something like that. But what I can say is, is that God has found me to be trustworthy to proclaim the kingdom of God. He says this, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he or she is. And then he drops down and says this in verse 29. Look at your Bible. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown weary and very short. And then drop down and look at the end of verse 31. For this present form of this world is passing away. You need to underline those verses. Verse 26, present distress. Verse 29, appointed time is growing short. Verse 31, for this present form of this world is passing away. What's Paul saying? Well, there's a lot of debate about what's he mean by present distress. Um, a lot of scholars think that he's referring to the Roman emperor Nero at the time. Nero was ruling Rome as a tyrant. And Nero unleashed more persecution on Christians during his reign as the Roman emperor than any other Roman emperor. Um, they were fed to the lions during the gladiator games. Um, history records that Nero would dip these Christians in oil and then light them on fire in his garden for his evening stroll. I mean, so there was massive persecution that was happening on the Christians. And what Paul is saying is he's using wisdom. He's saying, listen, we know people. Next Sunday, there might not be people at the church in Corinth at 10 a.m. drinking coffee because they were murdered this week for being Christians. And in light of all of the persecution that is happening... It might be best for you not to get on the dating apps while people are getting murdered, okay? Um, because there's, that's going to be more stress on your life. That's more people that you have to worry about, all of this. So he might be meaning that, but what he is for sure referencing when he says that the time has grown short and that this world is passing away, what Paul is saying is this, nothing is permanent, Nothing is permanent. And I know what some of you are saying, but, but marriage, but, but marriage. Well, um, in traditional vows, remember how it says, till death do we part. 
You see, Jesus actually answered this idea. In the Gospels, the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus. And they said, hey, there was this woman who was married to this man, and this man died young, and then she married another man, and that man died, and then she married another man, right? And at some point they would be like, man, I don't know if we should marry. We might end up dead or something like that. And then they asked this question, whose husband will she be in heaven? And Jesus responds with this verse that many people don't even realize. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Um, so uh, this is where really poor theology comes from at funerals when people say, well, God needed another angel. Okay, that's, please, for the love of God, don't say that to somebody. Notice that Jesus says like angels, and angels aren't married. So what Jesus is saying is in heaven... There is not marriage like there is on earth, and we'll get to a minute why that is. But listen, to summarize all of this teaching, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Live as though your hope is in heaven, not on this earth. So, do you have an eternal perspective or is every day of your life consumed with life on this earth. I heard, a, I heard another preacher describe sort of longing for the kingdom of God and this not being our home this way. He said, um, have you ever traveled for long periods of time and stayed in a hotel room? And like when you get to the hotel room, you sort of set up your stuff kind of like your way. But really when you get back to the hotel room, it's not your home. And like, that's not my bed, that's not my shower. It's a temporary place that I am staying. And what the scriptures teach about us is that that's how Christians should view their life here on earth. That it's temporary. That it's almost as if you're living sort of in a hotel. This is not the finality of your life, but the finality of our life is in eternity with God. So listen, if you are a single person in here, I beg to ask you this question. Do you have an eternal perspective? Or are you blinded by the cares of this season in your life in the here and now? The second question is this. Am I building God's kingdom or am I building my kingdom? Look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And all the married men said, Amen, all right? And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say all of this for your benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure, here it is, your undivided devotion to the Lord. Man, th this is really interesting when you break this down. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, hey, listen, if you're single right now, um, there's benefits 
to this in your life? That have you noticed um, that the married people that come to church on Sunday seem like they got in a fight in the parking lot because the reality is, is they have, okay? He's saying they have some worldly troubles that they have to deal with because they are married. But then notice his language when he speaks to those who are single. He says, you are free of those. And then he uses this language almost like an assumption. And listen, I was very convicted by this this week. He assumes that since you don't have those day-to-day problems, that your devotion and your time and your energy naturally goes to the Lord and building his kingdom. I mean, listen, like I experienced this when our family went on a trip and we had saved up and we got to experience Disney and it was awesome. And we flew in an airplane um, with three kids to stay for a long period of time at a hotel. And when you're flying, you've, you've got to do car seats, you've got to do bags, you've got to do all of this stuff. And so as I am going through the airport, I look like I am moving, okay? You've got bags, you've got car seats, you've got, and you're trying to get on that thing that you don't have to walk, right? You get on that thing and it just kind of, you know, floats you over to your next destination. And so I'm on this thing and I've got bags, I've got all of this stuff, and you're hoping your kid doesn't die or get snatched by somebody. So I'm like Liam Neeson. You know, I'm all this stuff's going on, stressed to the max. And then as I'm on this escalator thing that's supposed to be faster, there he is. Just some punk kid, man. (laughs) Flip-flops on. He's going to Florida. He's just living his life, man. He, like, has a carry-on. Like, I think all of his clothes for the week is what he was wearing. Flip-flops on, and he's just like bebopping by, and he just looks at me, and I was like, I'll fight you. If you say something, I will fight you right now. Like just dad mode in that moment, man. And listen, what Paul is saying is you need to stop for a moment. You need to stop and reflect that in this season that God has given you, that you have time and you have energy that can be devoted to the kingdom of God in ways that, frankly, married people cannot. And listen, we're in a season like that at Westside. There's a lot of younger couples here who were married and have kids. And man, scheduling meetings and getting involved and doing that, it's difficult in this season. And Paul says and almost assumes that you have this energy that you can actually direct to the Lord. But here's what happens. Because you have that energy and because you have that time, it actually, what the world tells you, is this time in your life is for you. And so it's all about you. And you get to, you know, wild oats and all all of this type of stuff. Um, Here's a good story about Billy Graham and John Stott. Um, Many people know Billy Graham, probably one of the most famous Christians in the world of all time. Great evangelist, preached to more people than anybody in history. But a lot of people don't know about his very good friend, John Stott. I've quoted John Stott many times, and he's been significant in my theological upbringing. John Stott was single for his 92 years of his entire life. And him and Billy would constantly write back and forth to each other. 
One of Billy Graham's um, greatest regrets that he says in his ministry was, is that he wished he would have A, preached less, B, prayed more, and C, spent more time with his kids and his family. And so John Stott wrote Billy a letter and said, this is all that's going on. I've got a book coming out. I'm speaking here. I'm doing all of these things. And Billy Graham responds with these words. Thank you for your November letter. Just reading it made me a bit exhausted. How do you do it, my friend? If you had a wife, five children, five in-laws, and 15 grandchildren, it would be rather difficult. Please forgive me if I am not able to keep up with you. You see, John Stott understood something. He understood the season of life that God had granted him was not so he could self-indulge, but rather it was so he could serve the church in ways, don't miss this, that Billy Graham could not. So here's the sentence. Here's what I'm trying to say. Singleness should not lead to selfishness. That's the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, in this season and this gifted time that God has given you in your life, what the world says is, oh, singleness, it's about exploration and playing the field and doing all of that stuff. And, and quite frankly, um, you can ask anybody who's gone down that road, that's exhausting and doesn't end well. But rather what Paul is saying is this, singleness should be leveraged to serve a greater person a greater purpose, which is the kingdom of God. Listen, singleness should not lead to selfishness. Your singleness in this season in your life should be leveraged to serve something greater than yourself, which is the kingdom of God. So listen, I would ask and lay before you that question. Where and how do you spend your free time? You're like, free time. I know in 2022, it's like free time doesn't exist anymore. But the reality is, is that there is a beautiful thing in this season in your life that Paul says that if you tap into this, if you are able to tap into this and steward this well, you will see how God can use you in miraculous ways. Do I have an internal perspective? Am I building God's kingdom or am I building my own kingdom? And then the last question is this. What's my motivation? What's my motivation? Um, we address this question all the time at Westside. Because what we believe is what you believe determines how you behave. So your behavior is just the fruit of something. It's not the root. The root of something are your beliefs. And so the reason why your child lied to you about eating that cookie and there's Nestle all over their face and they say, I didn't eat that, is because they wanted the cookie more than they believed in your word or your advice. There's a belief at the root of it. And look at what Paul says at the end of these verses. Verse 36. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Now, 
a lot of people are like, what Paul is saying is, is that if you have such a burning desire um, to get married and you can't control yourself, then get married. Not really, because that is a horrible motivation just to get married. Um, that passion um, is going to last about three months, okay? Um, and then you're going to find yourself going, wait, what was the basis of why I did this? And then he goes on and uses these words. Look at what he says in verse 36. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having, here it is, his desire under control, and here it is, and has determined this in his heart. Paul references heart twice in the passage. And then he's talking about deep convictions. Um, listen, this is a sentence that you can take to the bank, no matter who you are or no matter what season of life you're in. What you do is never as important as why you do it. Ever. What you do is far greater than, or what you do is not as great as why you do it. It's the motivation underneath everything. So what Paul is asking is he's saying, hey, hey, if you're single, why are you single right now? Because is it a self-indulgent, it's just me, I'm going to live my way, I'm going to do it this, because that's a poor motivation. Or if you're trying to get married, is it just because you've made an idol out of marriage and out of family? Because at the end of the day, listen, what the defining mark of every Christian is, is Jesus Christ. Listen to me, the goal of following Jesus is Jesus. That's the goal. The goal of giving your life to the person of Jesus Christ is Jesus, not the gifts and everything else that he gives us. So Paul is saying, what is your motivation in all of this? Because singleness is a gift that's been given by God so you can steward it well. And I know there's a ton of other questions maybe about dating and what does that look like. We would love, you can send those questions in. We would love to answer those on the podcast. But listen, here's primarily what I'm trying to say today. The point of marriage and the point of singleness very simply is to point to Jesus. No matter what season of life you're in, God has placed you in that season on purpose and with a purpose so you would live in such a way that when people look at your life, they go, oh, wow, they don't love money. They use their money to show that they love Jesus. Oh, wow, she loves Jesus, and she's living her life and her dating life and this season of singleness in such a way that she doesn't think that her husband is her ultimate hope, but that Jesus is. So in closing, I have two very simple questions that we use, that we gauge as sort of discipleship questions. Because here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tie up all of the questions and all of the complexities and resolve all the conflicts that you have. We believe that following Jesus is called discipleship. And there's some, listen, there are some answers to some questions that you will only know on the other side of obedience. So the first question is this. What do you feel that the Spirit of God is saying to you? Reading through these verses. Maybe, maybe if you're single in here, you just read these verses every day this week. 
and you just kind of ask yourself, God, what are you showing me? I mean, what stuck out so much to me was that Paul just assumes that if you've got this extra time that you're just devoting it to God. What's the Spirit of God saying to you? But then here's where the rubber meets the road. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because the beautiful thing about God's story and why um, marriage isn't permanent eternally is because of these verses. This is how the Bible ends. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the trustworthy, true words of God. Because in the end, we all end up married at the marriage supper to Jesus Christ. There is only one perfect person, which is Christ. So no matter what season of life you are in, listen, God does not make mistakes. So rather than fighting the season that you are in, surrender and find contentment to the God that finds you in that season. Heavenly Father, we come before you so grateful for your word. God, I'm just, I'm amazed after all these years of just diving in and week after week just preaching your word that it never returns void that there is something in this book every week God we gather so desperate some weeks we've been beat down we've been drugged through the mud and life has been a living hell for some of us and we gather and we sing and we have this deep desperation in our hearts of saying, God, give us a word. God, give us a word. And you never fail us. Never. So God, I pray for those who find themselves um, maybe in a season or maybe in this gift that you have given them for the remainder of their life. That first, that their perspective would change. That it's not a less than that they can experience the fullness of the Christian life lived out in community to the glory of God and the good of their neighbors. God, I pray that they would ask themselves these deep, penetrating questions. Do they have, do I have an eternal perspective that what I'm doing with my life, will it matter in heaven? And then the question that we all need Am I consumed every day with just building my own kingdom? Talk about anxiety, talk about fear. Or am I using what you've given me to build your kingdom, Jesus? And then God, a question for all of us. Why do we do what we do? Why did we come today? God, some of us think because we came to church and we sang, 
that you'll keep our family safe. Nothing bad will happen. God, some of us think that because we read our Bible that you love us more. And oh my, the good news is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That there's nothing that we could ever do to make you love us more than you love us now, right now. God, may that love be shed abroad in our heart today. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.